You're listening to the Deeper Christian Bible Study Series on Ephesians. Thanks for joining me, Nathan Johnson, in an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Let's dive into the lesson for the day. In our previous study, we began to look at verse 3, which begins the blessing section that continues down to verse 14. Now, as a quick review, in chapter 1, verse 3 through 14, Paul is listing the blessings that God has for you, which finds their fulfillment in one single place, Jesus Christ. Now, if you missed lesson 4, I encourage you to go back and listen to it as it lays the foundation for where we are going to be building on today. Now, in verse 3, verse 3 kind of gives the basis or the context for this entire blessing section. So let me just read it to you so it's fresh in our minds. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, as we looked at last time, Paul uses three specific blessing words to talk about what's happening in the spiritual realm. So one's an adjective, one's a verb, and one's a noun. The adjective then is, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That that here's God sitting upon his throne and, and just God lives in a state of blessing. And emanating out of him is just this praise, it's just this adoration, it's this blessedness. In fact, this blessedness has so gripped God that it says, hey, you've got to do something about this. And so God, what is he going to do? Oh, he speaks forth blessing, which is the verb. That he is blessing us. Well, what is he blessing us with? Oh, that's the noun. Every spiritual blessing. Now, realize that every spiritual blessing that God is really proclaiming to you, as we talked about last time, is literally centered and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And all of that is taking place in what Paul terms the heavenly realms. So let me just give you a quick illustration. Have you ever woken up from a you know from sleep and you're kind of in that weird, hazy, misty state and you're you're really not sure is that the dream world that I just left the real world or is what I'm waking up into the real real world? And I don't know about you, but I've had dreams where I wake up, but that's actually still a dream and I wake up from the waking up. It's a little confusing. But when you do that, you, you start you're kind of in this confusion and this fog, and you're wondering, you know, was this reality or was this reality? And, and you start asking questions like, you know, like, where, where am I in? Who am I in? What am I in? Why? Because you're, you're trying to figure out reality. Uh, in 2 Kings chapter 6, there's this great story of Elisha and his servant and the Syrians. And the, as the story goes, the, the king of Syria is, is, is searching. He's trying to get, you know, capture and, and destroy Israel. But interestingly, every time he shows up, Israel already knows about it. And so he goes to, the, goes to his men into kind of a powwow and says, hey, which one of you is a traitor? Which one of you is a spy? Because obviously one of you are telling, is telling Israel. Because every time we show up, Israel already knows about it. And of course, all of his men say, <laughs> none of us are spies. In fact, uh, there's a man in Israel by the name of Elisha. And he even hears your pillow talk at night. <laughs> That's a scary thought. And so the king says, well, obviously the, the secret is let's get Elisha. Which never made sense to me if you think about it. Because if Elisha can hear the thoughts of the king late at night and the king says, hey, let's get Elisha, don't you think Elisha would already know that? But regardless, uh, the king of Syria sends his entire army and he literally surrounds where Elisha was in Israel. And 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15 picks up that point. This is what it says. 
And when the servant of the man of God arose early, and he went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And the servant said to Elisha, Alas, master, what shall we do? And so Elisha answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, and he said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Wow, what an incredible story. Could you picture this scene? You are completely surrounded by an army. Their whole intent is to destroy you. The servant rushes in and says, hey, we're surrounded. And Elisha says, ah, not a big deal. For those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. Of course, if I was a servant, I'd been like, buddy, there's only two of us. I think you're mistaken. And Elisha says, no, 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 you don't understand. And after he prays, the, the servant looks around and he sees the mountains full of horses and chariots of fire. What confidence that would distill. It's interesting, this idea of the, the, the dream, the, 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 the dream versus the awake or the story of Elisha and his servant, this physical reality versus the spiritual heavenly reality, you realize that is true for a Christian. That you and I as Christians live in a dual citizenship, if you will. We live in two places at once. Now both are real and both are factual. See, we live in a physical world down here. We live in a physical earthly realm here. And yet we have a spiritual reality. That there's a spiritual realm that we get to partake in. Now, Paul calls this spiritual realm, in the Greek, it's uperanios, which is this heavenly realms idea. It can be translated the throne room or the heavenly place where God dwells, heaven, the heavenly temple, the sanctuary, or the place where spiritual battles take place. And interestingly, this idea of the uperanios shows up 20 times in the New Testament, but the way the grammatical structure, that how Paul uses it here in Ephesians, is only used here in Ephesians, and it's used five times. In fact, it becomes kind of the structure or the backbone for the entire book itself. Well, you could look and say, well, when is the heavenly realms? Now get this, it's not some point in the future. See, the heavenly realms is taking place right now. Well, where is the heavenly realms? See, the heavenly realms is not out there somewhere. See, the heavenly realms is pressing in upon us. It's, and yet, it's, though it's pressing, it's like it's just beyond us. See, it's beyond our ability. It's beyond our strength or resource or talent or intellect. So then how do we enter into the heavenly realms? <laughs> we can't. See, only Jesus can enter in. Only Jesus is worthy, which means that for you and I to be there, we must be in him, as Paul talks about all through chapters one through three. See, Jesus is our robe of righteousness that Isaiah talks about in Isaiah 61.10. That, that if we desire to enter in, we must be covered with this robe of righteousness, which is Jesus Christ. See, the best that we can produce is filthy rags. But when I am clothed in his righteousness, as I live in total surrender, submission, and dependency, then I have access to come boldly before the throne of God himself. Now, this word again, this, this heavenly realms term, is used five times in the book of Ephesians. And I think it's going to help our understanding if we look at this term all throughout Ephesians and figure out what Paul is doing with it or how Paul uses it. So let me just read those five passages to you so you can see how they fit together. So the first one, obviously, is in our passage, Ephesians 1 verse 3, which says again, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing 
in the heavenly realms in Christ. The next one shows up in Ephesians 1.20, which says, Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 2.6 declares, And raised us, God raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 3.10 declares, To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. And the last time Paul uses the word is in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, which says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly realms. Well, what I want to do is I want to look at these really quickly with you. So let's look at the first one after our passage, which is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. Now, in the context of Ephesians 1.20, Paul is praying for those in Ephesus. And he's praying that you would know the power of God. So kind of let me read this context to you because it really sets the stage for our passage. This is Ephesians 1.19-23. Paul writes that you would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated Jesus at the right hand in the heavenly places, which is far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So get this idea. Paul is saying that you would, he's praying that you would know this reality of the power of God. He says, you know what the power of God has done? The power of God has really reached into the deadness of Jesus. So here's Jesus, deader than a doornail. He's pushing up daisies. He's, he's food for worms, if you will. And what has the amazing power of God done? Well, God has really reached his hand into the deadness of Jesus and yanked the dead physical Jesus from physical death and brought him into physical life. Whoa, that's amazing. He rose him from the dead on the third day. And if that wasn't enough, he literally took this resurrected Jesus who is now full of life and literally brought him into the heavenly realms and seated Jesus at his right hand, the right hand of the Father, which is a place of relationship and intimacy, but it's also a place of power, authority, might, and dominion. Paul says everything has been placed under the feet of Jesus and Jesus now has a position over all things. Why? Because he is the head. What an amazing reality. So get this, that Jesus right at this very moment is seated in the heavenly realms at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because God has reached, reached into the deadness of Jesus and yanked Jesus from death into life and brought him into the heavenly realms. Now, as you go to our second passage in Ephesians 2.6, Paul says that exact same thing has happened to you and I, but not physically, spiritually. Listen to this, Ephesians 2.6. Paul says, and God raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So here's the idea. Uh, just as Jesus was physically dead, so you and I are spiritually dead. In fact, verses 1 through 4, Paul is just overemphasizing this idea that you and I were dead spiritually. I mean, we, were, we were just pushing up daisies. We were food for worms. We were literally living in a state of death spiritually. 
And just as God reached his hand into the physical deadness of Jesus, so God reaches his hand into our spiritual deadness. And just as he raised Jesus into physical life, so he raises you and I into spiritual life because of Christ Jesus. And just as he elevated Jesus into the heavenly realms and seated Jesus at his right hand, so too he takes you and I and brings us into the heavenly realms and seats us at his right hand, but in Christ Jesus. See, our position, our salvation, us coming from death into life only takes place because God himself has done that through Jesus Christ. That you and I now get to partake in this heavenly realm's reality. Why? Because you and I are seated in Jesus Christ in the heavenly realms. Not physically, spiritually. Now, as you move into Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul has this phenomenal, phenomenal statement. He, makes, he says this. He says, To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. It's interesting that Paul is talking about the fact that, that you and I, that the body of believers, the church, become a demonstration of a spiritual reality to the spiritual realm. <laughs> think about this. <clears throat> now, stick with me, but think about this. That here we are living in a physical realm. You and I are physical. Hey, we, we, we live in a physical realm. But not only are we living in a physical realm, we live in a spiritual realm, as chapter 2 told us. That we are seated in Christ. That in this position that you and I can have freedom. You and I can live victorious. You and I can just walk triumphant every day of our lives. Hey, we can have peace and love and joy and patience and kindness. And hey, the fruits of the Spirit can flow out of us. Why? Because we're seated in a heavenly realm. Now, Paul says that when you and I and the body of believers who are living here in the physical are actually truly demonstrating this reality up here in the spiritual then what's taking place is, is that we are declaring in the physical how the spiritual is taking place, which means you and I become this declaration to the spiritual realms that the spiritual realms are really real. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Now, I know it's slightly confusing, but it's like we are declaring to the angelic host, we're declaring to the demonic hordes that, hey, this thing that God has done is in fact true. It is efficacious. It works. This is, this is powerful. This is, hey, this is real. Wouldn't it be interesting if we didn't just live in a physical realm, that you and I can actually live from a spiritual perspective, a spiritual position, which is all about being in Christ Jesus? See, uh, we, we look at our bank account in the physical and it's, oh no, what are we going to do? How, how are we going to handle this? Well, what if we saw that from a spiritual perspective? See, we, we look at the flat tire and say, oh, I didn't plan for this. I don't have time for this. This is, hey, this is an inconvenience. But what if we saw the flat tire from a spiritual perspective? Did you realize that, yes, it's true, we have to live here in the physical. But as a Christian, we don't just live a physical existence. We live a spiritual existence. And what, what would happen if, if you and I could take the spiritual and just like live this here down in the physical. I love the story of David and Goliath. Uh, here's this little strapping boy, probably 12, 13 years old. Probably doesn't have a lot of muscles. He's, he's been a shepherd. And, uh, you know, he, he shows up to the field of battle one day. And, and for 40 straight days, this, this mammoth of a man named Goliath has come out and he's, he's uh, made fun of the Israelites. And David, of course, looks around and said, who is this guy? And, and why isn't anybody else going to shut him up? Now, you realize that the Navy SEALs 
of that day were afraid to face Goliath. That the best warriors of the land refused to fight Goliath. And here is this 12, 13-year-old boy who comes up to the king and says, Oh, King Saul, let me at him. And of course, you know, King Saul looks at David and says, Buddy, you're just a little kid. And of course, David's like, Psst, no big deal. Why? Because God has proven me with a lion, with a bear, and he's just going to be like one of those. And somehow, for some odd reason, the king says, okay, go do it. So David marches on in the field of battle, and all he has is no armor, just a sling and a couple stones. And he looks straight at the face of the Philistine, and he says, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, get this, that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. You look at the physical reality of what David was encountering. You realize that in the physical, this was, this was crazy. This was insane. You do not send a 12, 13-year-old boy to go against this 9 to 12-foot giant who has been trained since he was a little boy. See, this makes no sense in the physical. But David was not looking at it from the lens of the physical. He was looking at it through the lens of the spiritual. David said, hey, in the spiritual realm, God has empowered me. Hey, I have taken on bears and lions and Goliath will be nothing more than but one of those. And he says at the end of that statement that, that, hey, when this takes place, hey, when God comes through and when my physical life demonstrates a spiritual reality, all the world will know that there's a God still in Israel. See, that idea shows up again in, in the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. In 1 Kings 18, there's this idea that, that here's, here's Elijah and he calls the prophets of Baal and, and you know the story well, but they, they set up their altar and they, hey, they try to bring down Baal to bring fire down upon the sacrifice. And after several hours, it doesn't happen. And Elijah rebuilds the altar of the Lord on top of Mount Carmel. And he prays and fire comes down and not only licks up or, or takes over the sacrifice, but the water that they poured over the whole thing, that's licked up. And in fact, it says even the dirt of the ground was removed. And at the very end of the passage in verse 39, it says that when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they cried out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. See, something was taking place that does not make sense in the physical, but Elijah wasn't looking at it from the physical perspective. He was viewing it through the lens of the spiritual perspective. Wouldn't it be interesting if you and I could live from this reality? See, if we truly saw our position in Christ in the heavenly realms and that we are seated in Jesus, who is above all things, all principalities, powers, mice, and dominions, don't, don't you think that, that we could live from this position of the heavenly realms? And Paul says in chapter 3 that when you and I, living in the physical realms, live as if the spiritual realms are true and we're living from this position in the spiritual realms, then what's taking place is that our physical lives become this demonstration of this heavenly reality. And it declares not only to the physical world, but it also declares to the spiritual realm all that God is doing, that it's true. Well, the last time Paul uses this word in Ephesians is in chapter 6, verse 12. 
And Paul writes, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly realms. Paul says, hey, you and I are in a battle, but this is not a physical battle like the Old Testament. See, in the New Testament, it's been raised to a whole nother level, and our battle is not flesh and blood. Our battle is spiritual. But get this, far more is at risk, far more dangerous here in the spiritual realms, but it's also far more adventurous and glorious. See, the spiritual battles that you and I are taking, that that you and I are partaking in, happen here in the spiritual realms. So take all that and bring it back into our blessing section. Paul is saying that, that, hey, every single blessing that God has for you is found in Jesus Christ, and it's all contained here in the heavenly realms, which is what? The very place where Jesus dwells. See, you and I are seated in Jesus Christ, and as we live from this reality in the heavenly realms, here down in the physical world, then what's taking place is that you and I have this demonstration. Hey, you and I become the, the reality, the visible representation, if you will, of the reality that God is wanting to do and perform in the world. See, as you are partaking in the blessings that God has for you, it's not just a physical thing that he's given you. See, he's given you Jesus. And all those blessings are contained in this this, this, this heavenly spiritual realm. But if you would live from this reality, if you would live from the the spiritual truth, if you would live from the spiritual perspective down here on the earth, wow, that would change everything, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that change how you lived? Wouldn't that change how you thought? Wouldn't that change how you saw your bank account? Wouldn't that just change how you saw flat tires? I want my entire life to be lived here in the physical from a position of the spiritual. I love the story of this old hymn. There's this man living in Chicago, and Chicago had that great city-wide fire back in the day, 1800 or so, and and the man just lost everything, lost his business, and he decided he was going to take his family and send them over to England and uh, start over in England. And uh, he had to finish up some business, and so he went over and he put his wife and his daughters on this boat and sent them off on the way to, to England. Along the way, the, the ship sank and very few survivors. And the wife made it. And, and while she was over uh, in England, she telegraphed her husband. And the telegraph basically said, I was a lone survivor. All is lost. Our daughters have died. And the, the man finished up his business and, and finally went over and got on a boat and made his way over to England to comfort his wife. And now partway across the sea, the captain of the boat supposedly came down and looked at the man and said, Sir, you, you asked about where the boat went down. This is the best that we can figure. This is probably where it is. And I don't know about you, but could you imagine? Here's this man who has lost everything, lost his business, lost his fortune, just and, and lost his daughters. The grief, the, the, the physical pain of that whole thing must have just been excruciating. And so he went over to the side of the boat and held on to the railing. And he was looking down into the waters and the, the deep waters that had swallowed his daughters. Now you realize that in the physical, there's pain. And in the physical, there's agony. And then in the physical, there's just heartbreak. And in the physical, there's questioning. But the man refused to live from the physical. He lived with a spiritual reality. And as he was looking down into the waters, he penned these words, which you and I often sing. He said, when peace like a river attendeth my way, When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Wouldn't wouldn't it be interesting if you and I lived 
not just from a physical reality, but from a spiritual one. See, wouldn't that change how you just lived and encountered every moment? See, the temptations that bombard you, if you realize that, that yes, maybe in the physical you are weak, but you are strong in Christ Jesus. That, hey, things may not make sense in the physical. You may be surrounded by an entire Syrian army. Hey, hey, there, there's no hope. There's only, hey, there's only you and one other. But would you just see that there are more with us than with them? Well, would you realize that the mountains are full of horses and chariots of fire? See, what if you and I could live from a spiritual perspective? What, what if every problem was seen from this reality? See, see, what if every circumstance was seen not just from the physical, but from the spiritual? What, what if your bank account, what if your time, what if the difficulties, what if, what if your family situations, what if, what if everything that was happening in your life could be seen from the spiritual perspective of being in Christ Jesus? And what would that look like if your life became the demonstration of the spiritual realm to the entire world. Oh, that's what Paul is arguing. That's what Paul's heart is, is that you and I wouldn't just live here in the physical, but that we would live from this position of being in Christ, which is in the heavenly realms. Well, in our next study, we're going to continue to examine verse 3 one more time. And we're going to talk about the simplicity of the gospel and the essence of Christianity, which is all about being wrapped up in Christ. And as usual, if you want to get a jump start on the study, here's a couple things you could do. Number one, read the entire book of Ephesians this week, preferably every day. Number two, saturate, soak in, ponder, meditate, read over and over chapter one, verse three through 14, which is this blessing section. And number three, ponder what does it mean biblically to be in Christ. And thanks for joining me for this study today. If you would like to see an outline of this study or read a commentary version of the passage, you can do so by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians 05 for lesson number five. And until next time, know I am cheering you on as you build your life around Jesus Christ. See you then. Thank you for listening to this study from the book of Ephesians with Nathan Johnson. If you would like additional resources to help you build your life around Jesus Christ, I encourage you to check out my website at deeperchristian.com. This podcast is the audio version taken from my video series in Ephesians. And if you would like to view the video version of this study, you can do so at deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians.